Wow, this was a tough one to edit. I broke my wrist while I was in LA and had surgery, and now I'm in a full cast. That's my editing hand. So this was this was tough. Also, Jackie had to leave because she's a busy badass of a human being, and she was being very generous with her time. We were so lucky to have her. Also, we decided to add some stuff in post to make everything flow and fit, and that took even more time. But here it is, finally. Enjoy this episode with the legendary Jackie Cation. Stand-up comic, joke it up one time. Fun day. Oh, okay. I'm so tired of it. Oh, yeah. There isn't a good Come joke. On. There's a good song. Sex and that I won't even hear that. It's all right. You sing. Well, my contribution. Sex. All right, welcome to Let's Talk About Sets. This is a comedy nerdcast about the science and craft of stand-up comedy. With me, as always, is my co-host, a young man being trained by his girlfriend to be a potty-trained puppy dog, Harrison Tweed. Hello. Yep, I pee everywhere. Today's theme is family, and our guest is the amazing, funny, and extremely down-to-earth Jackie Cation. Hello, and welcome to me. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> We're going to just get started with a bit by Jackie, and it's called Origin Story. It's from the album It's Never Going to Be Bread from 2010. And I am from Wisconsin. I'm from a little town outside of Milwaukee called South Milwaukee. Uh, very glamorous. Uh, called that because it's east, east of the city. <laughs> We're not a bright people. Um, <laughs> but my parents still live there, and my parents are very funny people. They are not nice people. Uh, they are funny people. Anyone else raised by the hilarious? Uh, I was raised by the hilarious. And if you have hilarious parents, you were a mouthy child, because that's what you get. If you have hilarious parents, I was a mouthy child. And my mother, when she would have enough of it, she would say, Come here, sit on my lap. Let's look up orphanages. <laughs> Funny now. <laughs> And I tell that joke, and my mother always goes, you know they were never listed. (laughs) Tag. And I always wanted a dog, and my parents hate animals, and I wanted a dog so bad that by the time I was nine, I genuinely wanted to be blind so that I could have a dog. And I made the mistake of telling them that, and they burst out laughing and said, well, we still wouldn't get you a dog. (laughs) We'd get you a stick. You could name the stick. <laughs> so, um, it's so tight. It's just like it's like step by step by step. It cle- it so clearly indicates like who your parents are. Yes, that's a great way to put it. Actually, is the fact is I may uh, take that as a point of reference because it's better to try to when you tell a joke, it's better to try to explain who the people are. And if I'm if I'm doing that, well, congratulations to me. But uh, if I'm if like if if it's done correctly, everyone goes, oh, my God, I know exactly that guy's irritating. That woman is hilarious. Oh, she's a piece of work. What a pill Uh or whatever. Like whoever Uh you're talking about uh, in the third person. The universe of meaning and a couple jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what I noticed from that set is uh, I couldn't be speaking any faster. That was some serious <laughs> choppity chop chop, and yet not sped up, <laughs> just yeah. normal. Uh, I actually slowed it down for this. Right, recording. right. Just put it at one and <laughs> yeah, a half. Yeah. <laughs> it's quick. Mm-hmm. It clearly indicates to everybody who your parents are and your relationship to them that it's you know snippy. 
um, uh, but with love, you're right. saying with joy. Yep. Um, how, what was the development process like for that? Well, and this is true of all of the stuff about my family. And this, if anybody wants to write stuff like that, you have to figure out what you like about those people before you write about the things that you don't uh, like about what those people. Yes. Because the thing about my parents is that they weren't enormously good at it. Yeah. So parent, being parenting. parents. Parenting. Yeah. Yes. They did the best they could. We all lived. Uh, <laughs> we right? All, yeah, and no uh, so so they, they take some solace from that. They're yeah. always like, did you make it? You made it. <laughs> and uh, so there's that. That's an A, right? Yeah. That's, that's an A. <laughs> and we did that. And I was like, hmm, did you? Anyway, mm. so, but the... But yeah, I had I literally had to spend a fair amount of time writing through the anger mm. and the and the sadness and the fear. I had to have all of the the things that weren't funny emotions. Yeah. First, writing through it. What writing do you mean when you say it. that writing. Well, writing and it, the it. way I write is I perform right. I don't write right. You know, um, though many of the stuff that came off of that album, that bread album, was part of a, a solo show that I did. In the early uh, 2000s, everyone in Los Angeles was doing one-man shows, and it was usually the triumph over cancer. And um, mine never had cancer, but it had a lot of stuff about my dad and a lot of stuff about my uncle and a lot of – I mean, it was called Salesmen and Thieves. And Bread has a lot of those stories that I then turned into bits. Okay. And so the the way that – so I did actually write out some of those stories, and then – when I was done with doing that solo show, I was like, well, I'm not going to throw away perfectly good comedy. I'm going to tighten this up, make it somehow. Yeah, like pluck it. Yeah, pluck le- it. less good poignant, stuff. more mm-hmm. just funny. And so I had and to. And by the way, that could be the, the, the working definition for the difference between stand up and a one man show. Less poignant, more funny. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, and the thing is, is, but if you start from a place of poignancy, the poignancy is still there. There's residual poignancy, you guys. Ooh, poignancy and, residue. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who doesn't want that? <laughs> and, uh, and the thing is, is the audience can, I think the audience could sort of feel that. You know, they could tell that I've dealt with the issues with my family. And so they're like, oh, that sounds like an insane thing to say to a child. Mm-hmm. Oh, we wouldn't get you a dog anyway. We'd get you a stick. And, uh, but she said it to me. How you say that, I think, part of what makes that harsh like joke, yeah, which probably isn't much of a joke, uh, that it's, it's what sells it. You're like, we, we wouldn't have gotten you the, that intonation that you have, that quick, we wouldn't have gotten you. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah we're not getting stick. you a dog. It's, yeah. uh, plus, it was that sort of, it was pre-Christmas story, but not... Like everyone knew that if like everyone, you're like, well, I'm going to be blind. I'm going to, when I kill myself, you'll be sorry. I would say that. My stepmother would say, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know if we'd be sorry. You'd be dead. Please do not kill yourself. Oh my God. And so. (laughs) (laughs) Which as a matter of fact, I should write that down because that's kind of funny. When I was like 17, she did say to me, um, I don't know if you're going to kill yourself or end up homeless. And. um, Oh, those are your options. Those are right. right. I was like, hey. And I was complaining about that to my sister. And my sister, trying to be supportive, said, you could live with me. And so uh, <laughs> what I'm saying is that my family didn't have the greatest sense of hope as to where I would end up uh-huh. yeah. or any of us, probably uh, any of the kids that were all just like, well, we could all end up right there. That, that thing you said, you wrote through the anger, you wrote through the irritation, you wrote through the sadness. What is that? How does that work for you? Well, like if you think about how you would go to a therapist, if you go to a therapist, they don't want to hear the joke. 
about how you were beat as a child. <laughs> they want to hear how you are dealing with being beat as a child, you know, whatever it is that happened to you. Uh, they want to hear and they want to offer you, you know, and part of the catharsis of, I think, therapy is talking it out. So if, you know, if I tell you the story of something my brother did, and how I have a hard time talking to my brother because my brother is a piece of work. If the first time I tell you that story, I'm just as mad as you're going to be. Yeah. You know, the first time I tell you, like, there's that other bit that, that we're going to go to. But uh, there's a story There's a story that I've only told probably six times on stage. And it's on that album. Because wow. I can't tell it uh, anymore because it's exhausting. And it's already on an album, so I don't have to. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I know, I know, it's, I know yeah. which one. I'm excited to go through it. It's, but, it's, uh, but the thing is, is the first time I, you tell anybody the story, you know, was it, someone was telling me, oh, I know, there was some young comic who told me that, oh, God dang it, I wish I could remember her name, because I told her, she, was, she said she had seven minutes and it was all too dirty. And so she wanted to write stuff that wasn't about sex. And I said, well, what was your family like? And she said... Well, I mean, the only thing really interesting was that my mom was a professional pool player and she would always be in the finals in Vegas and we didn't have any living room furniture. We had a, a pool, pool table. table. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's that's gold. I don't understand why you don't tell some story. And she said, well, the only real story I could think of offhand. And I was like, here's the thing about the story you could think about offhand. There's four more. Yeah. Right. She had the one story she told me was when she was 16, she wanted to borrow the car. And her mom had had a beer, and her mom said, I don't know, rack him. She had to beat her mom in pool to oh, borrow the wow. car. I was like, tell that story every time you walk on stage. Yes. That, I mean, just open with that. Yeah. So, or, so yeah. Let's talk about that, because um, this kind of goes into uh, what, how do you determine how you talk about your family on stage in such a way that doesn't cause more problems. Well, that's, I mean, that's key is you don't want to, I mean, unless you don't like them and you don't want to hang out with them for the rest of your life, you have to figure out a way to tell jokes about them that they either know it, you're kidding or there's, it just, it comes from that place where they can tell that either they can tell you're kidding or it's so not true. Like David Feldman used to do a lot of jokes about how his wife was a nightmare. And I stood next to his wife one night when he was talking about these jokes about how his wife was a nightmare. And I said, how do you stand it? And she goes, well, I know it's not about me because none of the, none of the examples are about me. Uh huh. I was just talking to my girl. I know. Well, I guess girlfriend is family in a, in a way we've been together for a year and I family tryouts and I have some family tryouts (laughs) and we were talking the other day and I was like, I have this joke that's, not really about you, but it's based off something you said. It's, uh, um, it's she, let's just say she hasn't had this one experience. And in the bit version, I, I was like, I want to write this joke, but I want the reason you haven't had this experience to be because you do not want to, rather okay. than you haven't given yourself the opportunity to. Right. And it's funnier if you do not want to do this. Thing. Right. Um, this is a and sexual how was that thing. Was, right. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, but the way the bit can work out. It, it's funnier if you don't want to. And she was like, that's fine, but you should just, you should remember that like, I want you to do whatever material you want to do. But when you talk about uh, a girlfriend you have on stage and it's not truthful about me, 
keep that in mind and like make oh, sure the fictional girlfriend and me doesn't bleed into our lives. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's so, an excellent point. And it was a good point she made. And I was like, oh, this kind of frees me up to do may, maybe more abstract things about the right. girlfriend. I, I've, I, don't, I don't do that just mm-hmm. because uh, I don't, I have You're a hard time. You're very autobiographical. Blurring, yeah. I have a hard yeah. time not bringing that. The closest, I'm doing a bit about how um, I don't. The one thing about being married is that I didn't know there'd be a witness to absolutely everything in my life yeah. and uh, and some things I don't need to see. And so I made up a thing that I've witnessed, but I've he didn't care that I witnessed it. But I was like, there's things that he doesn't want me to see, too. Right. I walked in and I said I walked into our apartment and our house and uh, there were Magic the Gathering cards all over the house. And he had clearly been going through them for the last three hours. And he told me to get out. And uh, so, I mean, it was just an example of something. Yeah. Because I don't have a good example of something that he, I have witnessed that he doesn't, and it's the closest thing. That yeah. it would, and that he doesn't honest, want you to share with Right, her. right. Yeah. The, uh, me walking into that, there's less that he would like me to see that every surface is, is covered with something. That uh-huh. would drive me slightly mad. But, the magic card thing, I don't care. Uh-huh. It's whatever. You you know who you married. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah we go, going into this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Being able to talk about your family or your spouse in or your your tryout spouse <laughs> in a way that uh, doesn't damage your relationships, I think it's maybe comes back to the thing you were saying, where like you you've already worked through the anger. And the status, you can you can talk about it with joy. Like, I accept this about you. I love you through this. Well, the weird thing is how my father relates to most of the stuff about him. Is my brother Phil said to him, he said, I can't believe how much you love those bits about Jackie. You're not the hero of any of those stories. And uh and my dad is like, no, I just like hearing her talk about me. Uh, <laughs> That's a thing. Uh, That's a thing. <laughs> and and he can tell that I still like him. Out of vanity? Like uh, he likes yes, his, entirely. Like, yes. Cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so it's, you know, it ends up working out just fine. Uh-huh. But I mean, I think that you have to be aware of how people, like I have friends who have like, they talk about their sisters on stage mm-hmm. and uh, some of their sisters are like, no, no, you can't. Talk wow. about me. And I'm yeah. like, huh, I don't know that you get to say that, but okay. okay. Um, and I was like, I don't know how. Well, you like- get to say it, but they're just basically saying, well, you can do it. You're going to do it one way or another. I can't stop you, but there's going to be a consequence. Our relationship will be damaged. Right, if you do right. This. And right. and that has happened to a couple of friends of mine. And it's it's where they've had to work through it from that spot. If you do the work before you get to that spot, you might be able to avoid that conversation. Yeah. I have sort of another uh, another angle from it, which is I my family is, is very loving. Um, and, uh, we've worked through a lot of stuff over the years, tons of therapy, all of that. And we're in a great, great, great place with each other. And we work hard never to hurt each other. And so like, I want to make fun, but I also, I'm so, I so don't want to hurt them. I so don't want to hurt their feelings. Um, yeah, it's very like, I, I'm, I want to talk about stuff, but I also am like, ah, they're private people. 
so it's a very um so I, you don't feel like you have the option to talk about them i i do i mean i even have i i have a bit uh about my dad and his love of guns and and like and i i make fun of that and i was really really hesitant to have him see it and he was just like he sort of he loves it and he's just like he's like he's like well you think i don't have a sense of humor about myself uh, <laughs> well like, that oh. i mean that's that i mean that's the best defense of course is mm. that if anybody gives you any guff you're like oh you can't laugh at yourself at all huh okay yeah, it, <laughs> so, exactly which of course just makes you a bigger dick yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. is, yeah. is uh, at least your wow, father was... volunteered it yeah. yeah i'm scared to do material about my mom not because i'm afraid it will hurt her but that i'm scared of her as a person and i'm like she might actually murder you <laughs> yeah well we have some tumultuous situation like we're very good on neutral territory yeah like she comes to new york we meet in manhattan wonderful we have a great time but if oh, i'm like in her lunch? house yeah or yeah. just like just when i An show her brooklyn okay but, but when I'm in her house that I grew up in, there is some kind of like toxicity to it and our relationship changes. Yeah. And I, and there's stories I have from living in that house that I'm like, there's something funny about this, about the way we're both dealing with the situation. But I guess it is also, I don't want to hurt her, but like, I don't want to make, I don't want to lie about her, but I also know the truth about her is also very funny, but also very revealing and a bunch of stuff I wouldn't even want my best friends who are friends with her to even know about, you know what I mean? So much less like if I were an opportunity to do it on a television network, I wouldn't want her to have to see that or deal right. with that. Right. I look at like, uh, like Mark Maron's a great example. I actually love what he does and he has damaged a lot of relationships through, through comedy. Right. Right. And I look at that as like a, Ooh, I don't want to do that. No, no. You want to be a whole person. Yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd like to have relationships before, during, and after your your job or your passion or your art. Mm. Right, right. You shouldn't have to sacrifice your parents and your siblings <laughs> and your yeah. wife or your husband <laughs> on the altar of art. Yeah. And everybody who fucking tells you you have to, well, don't hang out with that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, they may be very funny. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Uh, I don't want to hang out with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can think, listen to them from a distance. Do you think because your parents were like funny, uh, like ball busters and they were like ribbing you your whole life, it's like, well, you had 18 years of stand up yes. comedy at my expense. Now here's my turn. Oh, wow. Yes, yeah. Reciprocity? Yes. Oh, yeah, carte blanche. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was defined. Yeah, I barely could walk and you're <laughs> ripping on it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's actually do a little bit more of the origin story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The stick. So they're funny people. They're uh, and my father is a salesman. He loves the sale. He loves the pitch. Guy mostly sells aluminum siding. And the triumph of my father's aluminum siding career is that there is a brick house in South Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that has aluminum siding. <laughs> house made out of brick with some siding. How did he make that sale? You don't have to ask. He will tell you. You should have heard the pitch. I just kept telling this guy, low maintenance, low maintenance. Brick will chip. And we were like, Dad, was that fair to say that? Was that nice? And he's like, nice? What am I, Santa? Am I Gandhi? Am I some kind of social worker? I got overhead. Because that's what he used to call us kids. It used to drive him nuts, though, when we sold stuff for school because we didn't make any money. But he knew we needed to learn how to sell, so he didn't want to interfere with that process. And he would never help us sell. He would always say, it's your sale. You close the deal. 
I'm seven. <laughs> I was seven the first time he sent me to work the neighborhood for Little League, and I'd come home and he's sitting on the couch tweaking. How did it go? How did it go? How many candy bars did you sell? Was everybody home? Were there any not homes? Did you write down the not homes? You can go to the not homes tomorrow. No, I'm seven. <laughs> I went to all the houses I'm allowed to walk to. And I didn't go to any of the houses that said no soliciting because the coach said you're not supposed to go there because those people don't want you. And he freaked. You didn't go to the no solic Tomorrow, you go to the no solic Do you know why those people got those signs up? They'll buy anything. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even want those signs. <laughs> Okay, you should pause it there. Okay, okay, let's do it. Because there's it. like nine things about that bit. Because that bit's really old, right? Yeah. That bit's probably from '96. And um, first of all, that the little okay, the the thing about my dad selling aluminum siding to the guy with a brick house uh -huh. <laughs> that happened more than once. Uh, he's also sold people awnings to their basement windows because uh, he told them that the sun would ruin their washer dryers. Oh. Uh, so I. <laughs> I mean, different iterations of that joke were yeah. different things that he has done, right? Uh -huh. So the so that that's all him. But the little league story, that's actually that happened to my one of my older brothers. Got it. And uh, as Phil Cation likes to say, it's like, oh yeah, just use my life, just use it. It's okay. <laughs> and I'm like, thanks. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that story. It's mine now. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, that was what that was him going out for little league and mm. what what our dad said to him. And then was he seven at the time? He or? was seven. He at was the seven. Time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, which would have made me like less than one. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And um and then I've got some good memories when I was negative three. Oh, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then teacher man, uh, the uh, he didn't even watch that sign. Yeah. That actually is a tag written by another comic, because another comic oh. was like. I got a tag for you yep, if you want it. So great. Because that's the whole thing about tags that you get from your friends uh -huh. and your coworkers. They, you know, nobody, they should never be an obligation, obviously, right? And the way you tell people that you've got a tag is always, I have an idea, a tag for a joke, obviously take it or leave it. Right. And then you tell them and then they say, thank you. And then you never know if they take it or leave it until you see them on stage. Exactly. And they've taken it or leaved it. Right. And, uh, so Dave Mordahl, uh, from first year of season, last comic standing, mm -hmm. Minneapolis comic, he came up with, they didn't even want those signs. It's that is a great, great, it's a great tag. It's such a great, yeah. it's a, such a great line Yeah. where you're like, and I don't have a, some comics are also like, once you've given me the tag, it's mine. Mine, 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 mine. I will not share. Yeah. And it is my joke. But I, I don't have a problem giving a shout out to, you know, the fact of that. Yeah. I, didn't I mean, you write... just shouted them out. Right. Yeah. I don't, yeah I, like the thing is, 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 is stand up is a solo activity, but it can also be collaborative. It can also be exactly. super, your friends, you hang out with comics that you think are funnier than you. And, uh, or at least as funny as you. <laughs> at least. And yeah. uh, because if you hang out with comics that you don't think are funny, then you just need a ride. That's what that's called. Exactly. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's you just needing a ride. Um, so, but... Uh, By the way, do you find that, like, uh, when somebody writes a tag for you and then it gets laughs, like, you, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I don't forget who wrote that tag. Like, it oh, sticks with me. Oh, I never forget who wrote that yeah. tag. I do that... I did that joke on Conan. The, the, uh, I never do the joke anymore. It's a great joke. I, don't, I just... You know, once it's on an album... I kind of, you burn I, it I try to, yeah, I try yeah. not to do it again because I'm working on the next album, but, um, I'll, I'll go to the vault. I don't have a problem with it, but, uh, but it, for some reason, the Indian casino story of me and Andy going to the Indian casino and 
him saying that there was no Native American food at the Indian casino, and that was a sad thing for him. And I was like, that's the sad thing? <laughs> and uh, so, and then I, it leads into this how I, I want there to be Native American frozen foods. Mm-hmm. And, um, right, yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it boxed and whatever. And uh, Mike Lawrence came up with uh, Sacagaweedies. Sacagaweedies, that's very Sacagaweedies, funny. Sacagaweedies, that's funny stuff right, right. there. Right, so you remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I always remember. Yeah, let's go back to it. Um, there's a lot in this bit. It's so, it's, it's, it's so great because it, it clearly shows, it paints your dad as this like kind of one-dimensional salesman character, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's not inaccurate. Uh, <laughs> it, it paints an accurate portrait of your father. Of my father as a, as a point in time. <laughs> oh, by the way, I like the, the line... Um, uh, the brick, it will chip. It's one of those lines. I like it because it's just, it's a thinker. You have to just like, you, you clearly professionally just wait. You're like, they need a moment for this one. Right. Okay, now we can go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 This, this sets up so many other things about your dad. Right? Yeah, it really, I mean, that's part of the, the, when I do new bits about my dad, there's part of me that needs to do the old bit. Like on that album, there are other bits that are on circus people that, that sort of call back to bread. Because some of those albums are from the one from before it. But um, whatever. I've repeated jokes on certain albums because I feel like if you don't have the backstory, the you're not going to get the joke right. entirely. Totally. And I don't have a big enough ego to think that you've listened to all of my collected works and yeah. you're going to get every weird reference to whatever. Even though if you go to my Wikipedia page, clearly someone has. Because <laughs> I didn't make that Wikipedia page and they know the names of all my siblings and my stepmother. That's very, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. And there's a guy who's going to be listening to this going, it was me. I have a, it was me. I have a quick, uh, do you think, um, I've always felt this uh, both from watching stand-up and doing it myself, when you let them into your life, and in this case, like what your family dynamic is, it sets you sets you up to talk and be more opinionated on certain things that may, like a certain audience might be like, well, that's none of your business or that's over the line type of thing. Right. I mean, to uh, to to do a sort of a real broad thing a statement on that would be say if you tell them that your family was bananas when you were a kid they will hear your weird opinion about feminism in the 1800s. Why do you think that is? What, what well, is just it? because it, if every time you make something more personal, it makes someone know you a little bit better, which makes people tolerate you a little bit better. Absolutely. I mean, how many boring people have you known for 30 years? Yeah. And you're like, no, oh, good, there's Jim. And, uh, <laughs> and then you go hang out with him again because yeah. you've known him for a thousand years. And you're like, oh, it's just Jim, don't worry about him. Part of becoming friends is disclosure. Disclosing parts of your life, things that you might not share otherwise. For that's sure, part of become it's part of developing intimacy. And when we're up there, right, it's it's a false sense of intimacy that we're providing. We're best friends for this hour, right? And it's the weird thing about it is that it's it's a false sense of intimacy, but it's an incredibly revealing, like it, what you choose to write about. It can. It, Whatever you choose to write about is going to reveal the kind of person you are in any way, shape, or form anyway. You know, there are mean parts of me that come out in mean jokes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, look at that. That's not attractive. And then <laughs> I'm like, well, that's the joke, though. And then I guess I'll write a different one tomorrow. Yeah. I've, I've noticed because I have been working on this material about my mother and my father dying. And then I in the bit, the bit is she was tenacious and that like he died, but I think he was holding her back because our lifestyle improved when, because oh, her career, but, 
And I feel like after that, I can be a little bit more opinionated because it's like, oh, he clearly has a sense of humor about this one big tra- tragedy in his right, life. Right, right. And it's clearly not his actual feelings. It's an mm-hmm. exaggeration or, yeah. So I think you're right. Yeah, that's awesome. When we're uh, up there disclosing parts of our family that are, that, are, that are messed up or weird or whatever, oddly, like it makes people feel better about their own family. Exactly. Completely. Yeah. I mean, I have more people that come up to me and say, my dad is your dad. You have, <laughs> you have the same dad. We have the same dad. I was like, piece of work, isn't he? Yeah, and you're and like, uh, that's actually not out of, outside the realm of possibility. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. He is working the room. LA education. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and yet I've heard it done wrong. I've heard it where people get up there and they talk about their family and they, there's clearly uh, unresolved conflict or, or even just like they get up there with a feeling of resentment as opposed to at least shellacking over with joy. And you can't tell if the joke is new. So they're just working through the resentment in front of me, (laughs) uh, which, you know, I mean, save it for open mic or some unpaid gig. Uh Uh, unless you of course have a room, unless you don't have a room like that. Like there are, I don't, like, I don't know where Jim Gaffigan works on stuff. Granted, he's mostly talking about food. But, uh, it, I mean, the thing is, is if he has an emotional connection to food, yeah, bread, that, yeah. that will be. But, yeah, I think when it is resentful or angry or, you know, I mean, for the most of my career, I've just heard dudes talk about their wives and the setup is, bitches, man, right? What are you going to do? Yeah, I've heard you talk about that. And you're like, oh, yeah. I know, yeah. In other news, uh, why are you still with her? Please leave. Exactly. Yeah, I, I spend a fair amount of my time listening to comics, just literally psychoanalyzing their like personal ball lives. and chain comedy. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah. it drives it's, me a little bit crazy. It's like, why are you making so much fun of her if you clearly are in the better? You don't like it? There, go pay for sex. That's what I, Norton I, does. Just get out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Maher is Come on. Yeah, yeah. Bill Maher isn't married to any of those women that he hates. He pays them. (laughs) That's really funny. (laughs) How do you make something that is so, so specific and subjective, um, uh, both palatable and fun? Like what is the, what is the process that you go through when you start with this frustration? Um, Well, the cool thing about standup, and I would say this is that the more specific you, you pick Mm -hmm. the better chance you are because, um, I mean, you may pick something so specific that that like you'll you'll see comics that are, you know, not straight white people. Right. Who are like, well, you know, I grew up in this this Chinese family and this was a thing that we always did with chopsticks. Right. And we as an audience, whether you grew up in an Asian family with chopsticks or did not knows what a chopstick is. So but if you pick something that specific, I think that it that it'll it'll it you can you can build from something tiny. Where if you pick a big, like if I want to do racism, 2019, you know, fucking pick a lane, you know, obviously I can swear, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah. Uh, yeah. it's uh, like it's... Uh, In this house? Yeah, <laughs> be, don't be ridiculous. And so, yeah, but I mean, the bigger the umbrella you pick, the harder it is to make the jokes smaller. And I'm having that exact problem right now because I'm writing about... Um, literally the, one of the premises is, is how I'm white and I never knew I was white. Well, how big a premise is that white people second, cause then I have to make it personal as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So the second one is the sort of me too. There are more dirtbags than I thought there were, 
in the world. And you're like, oh, sexism as a whole? What's happening? Uh And so that's too big an umbrella. So you got to make it super personal almost immediately. Otherwise, I mean, you can't, it's easy. It'd be, it'd be better if I talked about a dirtbag who elbow squows me that day, right? Uh-huh. Who's like, hey, it's nice to meet you. Squows? Yeah, you ever get someone shake your hand and they squeeze your elbow? Okay. That happens to women all the time. But I was just thinking about the, 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 the word, word squows. Like, is that the past tense of squeeze? Because I want it to be. I do comedy. I don't work. <laughs> I don't work, Smith. Ooh, yeah. And uh, sure. Made that but, one in the forge. But, uh. Right, right. But, that, but like, if I, if, I, if, I, if I built it from that, like the dirtbag that I met that day, but quite honestly, at this late date, I don't meet a lot of dirtbags. Or if I meet them, I'm like, oh, dirtbag, I'm going to get out. Yeah. And, uh, You're witnessing the like, dirtbaggery, right. but not yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I have more defense mechanisms than yeah. I did 30 years ago, sure. 20 years ago. He knows ago. not to fuck with you. Right, right. But that's but specific is the way to go, is what I would say is that pinpoint. Um, if you pinpoint something and build from there a, a specific family incident, you will be able to address probably all the issues that are in the world. Mm. You know, like if you talk about how your dad deals with racism, if you talk about how your mom deals with sexism, if you talk about pet abuse because of your brother's friend, you know, whatever your weird topic, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, your, yeah, yeah. It gives you the, the it's almost like perspective. Hand, you have this giant, you have this giant thing. How do you get your arms around it? And then this specific moment with your family or your spouse gives you the handle on it. That's like a it. little, it's like, oh, yeah. I can have something to grab onto. For sure. As opposed to just like here, I'm going to, it's like a giant bean bag. <laughs> You're trying to roll in front of the audience. Here, we're talking about this. That's, I heard Burr say this once where he was like, I hate when people say we, like me and the audience. Yeah. It's like, like he said, he saw someone be like, do we want that? No, we want a country, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, it turned me off because it's like, how do you know what I want? Right. And so he was like, if you say I and relate it to yourself, it's, I mean, I'm not saying this he, is well, a he, rule. Right, right. But yeah. he he does relate things. He's a perfect example, though, because he relates everything specifically exactly. to himself. And that, I think, is why a lot of people relate to him. Oh, totally. Because they're like. Yeah, he's not telling me what to think, but uh-huh. he's telling me how he thinks, and I think that too. Uh-huh. How dumb are those things? And even if an applause break occurs, he's like, I don't read. I don't yeah, read. Yeah, Stop. Yeah. Like, he just, like, <laughs> immediately is like, I'm, I'm invalidated. Oh, my God. I'd like to actually play another another clip of yours that is this very thing. It's genocide, and it, it's from I Am Not the Hero of This Story, and that's from 2017. So my grandmother, see, and the reason, and I mostly care about, like, the registering of of religious people, because I am a a Christian. Don't applaud. Nobody ever does. Uh, (laughs) It's fine, because everyone who says they're a Christian usually says, I never tell anyone, because the next words out of somebody's mouth is always something horrifying. So uh, I never do tell anyone. I just try to be, uh, because I was raised in a very nice church where it was essentially be like the nice man in the picture and go get your dad some coffee. That was the whole (laughs) That was the whole religion in a nutshell. It was please pick up the dishes and mm, try to be nice. 
So, um, I'm Armenian, which, uh, here's the thing. It's, it's a, uh, in Wisconsin, I have to explain that it's not a Baltic swordfish. It's a country in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and the Armenian Christians were killed in a genocide in 1915. The Turks deny it. Uh, they've taught their children and their grandchildren. It never happened. Here's what I have to say if you're holding a genocide, by the way. Uh, don't take pictures. Uh, you're not, you're not smart. Genocide. That's not smart. Too many, too many photos. We see what you're doing. Okay, so, uh... <laughs> But here's what, my grandmother lived through it. They were marched through Syria, everybody died, she didn't die. Uh, so uh, my grandmother talked about the genocide three times when I was a kid, and I, because I asked her about it. Two times, funny stories, hilarious genocide stories. A lot of people don't know. <laughs> people who live through a genocide, they're funny. Uh, so my grandmother told me, she said that when, uh, when the Turks came to take them out of their tiny village, first of all, there was bread in the oven. She was 60 years later, still worried about it. I think it burned. I think it burned. <laughs> but the Turkish general in charge of their village let her family bring their family donkey so that my grandmother's grandmother could ride it. And uh, my grandmother's grandmother was going to ride this donkey, but the village priest of the Armenian church stole the donkey so that he could ride the donkey. And my grandmother, at 16, picked up a two-by-four and beat the priest off of the donkey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. And she told me that story when I told her that I didn't want to go to church anymore. <laughs> and she said, I go to church, you'll go to church. And so... <laughs> I was 13 and I was doing genealogy, right? I made her cry. So uh, I made her, because I was doing genealogy, I, uh, I asked where all of her siblings were. And she was like, well, they all died. And then I pressed her. I was like, how did they die? And she's like, stop talking to me. And uh, <laughs> she cried and I made her cry and I felt very sad. And then I, since I was 13, I was just like, well, what was it like? What was it like, the genocide? And she said, well, for every 200 Armenians, there was one Turkish soldier who was in charge of that part of the line. And, uh, and then she just stared at me, essentially daring me to ask, and I did. And I said, why didn't you guys just tackle them? There were so many more of you could have killed them and just tackled them. And she said, none of us wanted to be the first to die, so we all died. And the reason she told me that, because she wants me to be the first to die. <laughs> I'm just going to fucking tackle him, you guys. <laughs> Nobody gets on the trains. <laughs> Nobody. No. Anyway, so I saved the second funny story for last, because why not? Order. Order of, uh, I don't know how to do comedy. I do. Uh, so... <laughs> The rule of three! The rule of three! Finish the fucking story. Here oh, it is. Christ, finish uh, the fucking so, story. <laughs> she said as they were walked by these villages in Syria, the villagers would come out because they didn't have television, and they would ask, uh, they would ask the women in line what their names were, and if you told them, they would go to the soldier in charge of that part of the line and buy you, and then you had to go with that dude. And my grandmother said that whenever the guys would ask her her name, she would throw rocks at them. <laughs> and she told me that story when I told her I had a crush on a guy when I was 15, and uh, it wasn't going well. And, uh, and she said, yeah, we're not good with men, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right, all right. Uh, oh, oh my God, that was painful. Uh, know, let me tell know, you something about we that know, joke. We like it. I, no, no, I get it's it. a beautiful joke, or it would have been with, uh, that was literally probably the sixth time I told it. Uh-huh. And I like to tell a joke hundreds of times. And so I can, I can hear in that bit how not finished that bit is. Oh. Because uh, I could hear me stumbling over words and over punchlines and new lines that I had decided, and then me sort of getting emotional about the bit, which we already discussed, and um, and then just going, okay, there's third 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 beat, third beat, the comedy rule of three, right? Yeah. Which is like, why, loud. Yeah, yeah, why does anyone need to hear that, Jackie? They just, uh, just keep telling the joke. You finish the story. Yeah, and then finish the story. Yeah. The first time I told that story was in San Francisco right after the election. In San Francisco, I was opening for Maria Bamford, and we were sitting in the back of the room, before the show and Maria does this on a fair number of shows. She'll be like, what do you want out of this set? And she'll say before we go up. And I was like, well, I want to work on the new stuff. I want to have fun. I want to make sure that I do this thing that I'm working on. We talk it out. Right. And, uh, and this particular, what a, that's so great. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great thing to, it's a, yeah. Um, so I said, I would like to feel like I was being of use is what I said. Oh, nice. And she said, well, why don't you tell that story you told me this afternoon about your grandmother? And I said, well, it's not particularly hilarious. And she goes, it was funny. And uh, so I told it and I recorded it. Um, and it's up on my band camp the first time I ever told that story. And it is both better and kind of worse. Like awesome. it's more powerful, the band camp version, because it's the first time I told it. So I'm a lot more emotional about it but i'm also finding the funny in it for the first you know much you know the first time you yes. tell a joke yeah and you're, you're, like, you're discovering the funny with the audience yes which is magical it really is and and so but uh so that was like and i knew i wanted to put it on the new album which was six weeks after that after the first time i told that joke well i've never i've never put anything on an album that was six weeks after i told a joke i i genuinely need to work on a joke for like three a year and a half three years i like I want them to be done or because as soon as you record a joke, you write a new tag almost inevitably. (laughs) Right. I mean, almost inevitably after you've done it on TV or you've recorded an album, you're like, oh, you know what? It'd be great. That line right there. Oh, (laughs) why bother? And uh, and so sometimes you keep doing it because you love the bit enough to keep doing it. But sometimes you just go, well, I guess that didn't go. And maybe I can use it in a different bit or use to let it go. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I kind of want to go through this step by step. Um, so, first of all, my I think my favorite laugh in there is where you get a laugh just between the contrast of the horror of genocide and the idea of funny early on in the bit. You just you just you you mention it. You let people get upset. Oh, we're thinking about this now, right? Right, and then you go very very funny, fun, very fun. Like they're funny uh, people, funny people. Uh, and, I don't know if you know this, but it's true though. It's, I don't know. And it, the, I think the timing of it really sells it. Like just just like you you let yep. them sit with it for a second. You don't back down, and then. <laughs> And then it's very funny people. You don't know, like just the even the idea of funny in that moment makes them laugh. Yes. Yeah. And the the thing is, if you're going to talk about something that intense, mm-hmm. that's pr- part of the reason why I had to stop doing, or that's what one of the reasons why I stopped doing. I didn't have to stop doing it. It was just a pain in the ass. Emotionally, it costs a lot of money to confront an audience with something they don't want to talk about, and 
to, fi- to find and insist that it's funny. You have to either have a confrontational attitude that, you know, like there's comics who that's their whole, that's their whole thing, uh-huh. right? They're like, ah, PC culture <laughs> or, <laughs> or whatever it is, right? Or I'm going to talk about abortion forever and you don't get to say I can't. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, but then there's people like me and a, a thousand gajillion other comics who are like, I will have a political social point, possibly, sociopolitical point, underneath this amazing joke about chocolate yeah. or whatever, right? It's buried underneath that we should all be nice to each we other. We call it the, the pill and the peanut butter. But, <laughs> there you go. You got yeah. dogs? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's – uh, and to confront the audience with the genocide, every time I brought it up, there were – because there were a couple of times I did it. I probably did it more than six times. But, I mean, every time I did it, sometimes it would come off as too flippant. You know, like every time you do a joke, it's different and you have to find like, I don't want to burst into tears in the middle of the damn thing. And I never did. But uh, but you don't want you don't want that. And you also don't want just in passing. A bunch of people were killed anyway. There's a sweet spot, right? Yes. There's a sweet spot between uh, we're going to feel the weight yes. of what we're talking about. And I'm also going to make light of it. Right. So you got to find that if it's if it's too far making light of it, then people are like, "Who is this monster?" Right? Yeah. Why, why? Why do I have to listen to this jackass? And if it's the other way around, this? they're like, "We didn't come here for this." Yeah, <laughs> why, you have to, right. why do we feel bad all there the time? There better be an amazing punchline at the end of yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, your like rhythm with like tension and release must be like perfect. Like yes. the balance needs and to that, be. And that and that takes practice. And uh, I didn't. I didn't know if I'd be willing to work on it for the next three years, mm-hmm. so I put it on this album. And uh, I also didn't know we'd be here in three years. You guys, kids. <laughs> do you think um, uh, when you're telling? Do you think that was the best time to tell that story with the time with Maria? Because maybe um, it's not. I mean, you're open micing it in the sense that you're telling it on stage for the first time, but you also you you want to put on a good show. You want to set up Maria well. So you have to just like your instincts are taking over in a lot of those points. Are those a lot of riffs, would you say, in the first time? I would say, no, I would say here's the one of the greatest things about opening up for Maria Bamford is she wants you to work on new stuff. The other great thing about Maria Bamford's is the audience. The audience who goes to see a Maria Bamford. Yes. Or weirdo lovers. Well, they're like, what? What what weird thing are you thinking about? Exactly. Yes, we will go with uh-huh. you. And they don't want it to be gross or mean, but if it's gross or mean with a point, they'll still be there with you because they're they're Maria Bamford fans and they're enormously open minded. Exactly. But um, so they're they're some of the most sort of forgiving or or open audiences. Like the other the other famous person I open for on a regular basis is Brian Regan. Uh, and oh, cool. um, love, love them both. Family yes. friendly, though. Yeah. Very family friendly. Yeah. And he like brings their kids. Yeah. Like there's a nine year old in the second row. Mm-hmm. And so for a long time, I was worried that I would slip into Tourette's and snap and stuff. So I would keep it to very old material. But recently, when I've last couple of times I've opened for him, I've done more of the new stuff and just trusted the fact that. Everybody knows that whatever stand-up is, it's an adult sport, and you have brought your nine-year-old. I'm not going to swear in uh-huh. front of them. I'm not going to talk about bodily functions or sex, but it is uh, adult topics. So welcome to a $65 ticket to see Brian Regan. And uh, he doesn't come up to you and is like, you need to do it this way. Make sure No, you do. his people did initially. Like the, not, uh, his like representation? The, like, no, the Live Nation guys oh, okay. were like, well, what, what? You know, we really like this joke. Mm. And I was like, do you? I'm kind of over that joke, but okay. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And I did it for like three months or, you know, 
for probably a year. But then I was like, I, I, I don't want to close on that cat joke anymore. So I'm good. Come on. Let's talk about sex. Well, this is probably a good time to introduce Jackie. <laughs> uh, Jackie, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, right. Yeah, let's introduce me. <laughs> uh, let's see, uh, Jackie. First of all, your current album, I Am Not the Hero of This Story, it was number one on iTunes and Amazon. It's critically claimed. Yep. First time ever, number three on Billboard. Oh, hell yeah. I made Billboard three without a bullet, but I made Billboard. That's dope. That's awesome. And you also are in your 13th year of your podcast, Dork Forest. The Dork Forest, Dork on Dork Dialogue. Which I absolutely love as yeah. a nerdy, geeky, dorky person myself. Yeah. As I was listening to a couple episodes before this and then also listening to your other podcast, um, uh, Jackie and Lori. Right, which is about stand-up, sort of. Sort of, I mean, yeah. we're just sort of bitching about stand-up and <laughs> celebrating stand-up. Yeah. Yeah. Lori Kilmartin and I just talking about what it's literally... You know how, like, there's a lot of guys who just talk about their weeks in stand-up comedy? Yep. There's a lot of those podcasts. Sure do. Know about those guys. And uh, Lori was like, well, do you want to do that? And I was like, with you? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I barely know you, so there'd be a way to get to know you. Yeah. And uh, it turns out it's hard to get us both in the same room because we work so much, but we uh, give it a shot. Yeah. Cool. And, and you started stand-up, I believe you said, uh, 1984? I started in the 80s. I tend to count it as one year, though, because the club burned down. Uh, a Is that year. how that works? It, yeah, I didn't Time do compresses. <laughs> well, you know, like I did stand up every day for nine months. Uh-huh. I got a 1.8 that semester. And, uh, and then luckily it burned down because then I graduated from college. Uh. <laughs> uh, but I did open mic like probably once a week. Uh, twice a month kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, Is this when you're 18 when you're starting? 19. 19. I was gotcha. 19 and 84. And then yeah, I graduated in 88. Uh, five year plan. And, uh, yeah, so, five years here too. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And then, uh, I spent about a year and a half screwing around trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then I moved to Minneapolis and I lived in Minneapolis till 96. And then I moved to LA cool. to do stand up. So, but yeah, it was, uh, Stand-up was, I don't know how it was for you guys, but the first time I did it, it was, I was like, oh, I'll be doing this forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was oh, yeah. like heroin. That high, yeah. Right. Or that what high. I assume heroin is. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely going to try some heroin so I can see exactly. how similar Exactly. Just compare them. Yeah. Where's yeah. that part? I mean, they're both hilarious. <laughs> um, but, yeah, <laughs> bring people together. Listening to your material, I loved hearing your perspective on um on being on being a dork and like and liking dork things and and have also especially the stuff that you have a lot of great stuff and we'll play it later on um uh, having a husband who's a video game designer and uh, a yeah. fellow dork right it's weird that i like i was a different kind of dork than he is uh-huh. and which is of course opens up all of the dork forest the dork forest like i was into science fiction and books and and uh, upright video games you know but not console video games i had a game boy like arcade games you yeah, mean arcade, up, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. and uh, and then and then i just read a thousand different kinds of books and i like tv and i like science fiction and you know this type of thing but um and then i married andy ashcraft and it's a whole new level of dorkdom when you marry a game designer yeah. who was in a science fiction club at UCLA back in the eighties, who 40 of his closest friends still live in Los Angeles. Many of whom, not many, but several of whom work for jet propulsion labs. And a lot of them oh, are like wow. IT, genuine rocket scientists. Could you fill me in on what I, I, I jet see propulsion his excitement. NASA. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> like literally, they're rocket science. Are they like working with SpaceX now? Because that's located uh, there. Robert Hurt and Lee Bennett both work with the Spitzer Telescope. The and uh, Robert Hurt's an astrophysicist. He's been on the Dork Forest, uh, and he. His he has all the different uh, models of Star Trek ships, and uh, not just Star Trek, all the ships. Uh-huh. And uh, but he's an astrophysicist, but he's also an, has an art degree. So he does the art from the Spitzer Telescope. So like all the art that comes from the Hubble Telescope, I did not know this. All the art that comes from all those telescopes out in space. Turns out they're in black and white because oh, yeah. it's space. Yeah. <laughs> space is in black and white, you guys. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so uh, <laughs> he color codes them f- with a key for like distance and density. And yep. so he does a lot of Photoshop. It's not called colorization. I call it colorization. Yeah. It's actually the thing he does not like it to be called. What is, but, <laughs> but that's what he's doing. Just coloring. He, he colors. He's colors. <laughs> coloring. <laughs> colors. Yeah. Don't you do astro crayon? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's what it is. Astro crayon. <laughs> he's an astro crayonist. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna tell him that. Please do. Yeah. Um, you, do you ever? Do you ever like like really punch it up and go finger paint? Exactly. <laughs> when, right. When him and it, when you guys are all hanging out at your house and he's having these geniuses over right. for brunch. <laughs> Stuff. Is this? Do you collect a lot of material from those conversations? Like they tell you something that blows your mind, and then you're like, you can make a joke out of it. You know what? I've tried. Like the one thing, like one of his friends teaches AP physics. I didn't even know what AP stood for. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but it's fancy physics in high school. Yeah. So um, we were sitting around All one purpose. day. All purpose. <laughs> I was sitting around, and I said to Judy, "We've have we've ever figured out how to control gravity?" And she goes, what's happening over there? (laughs) No, no, Jackie. What are you watching? (laughs) I'm like, The Expanse. (laughs) So good, by the way. It's so good. It's really good. Oh, my God. Thank you, Jeff Bezos, for saving that show. (laughs) It's great. This is your. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to participate more in this part. Yeah, just, Harrison. When you guys nerd out, I want to. Yeah. Uh, you've been doing stand up for so long. You have so much experience. It was such a joy to to have you here and have Thanks. you talking about it. We have a few questions we ask people, and in particular, I'm dying to ask you this one. So, was there anything that you heard from a stand up comic, or you read, or whatever, that changed stand up for you? That would made things click. The first comic I ever saw that made comedy something bigger than just jokes and just just getting laughs and stuff was Dana Gould. It was uh, probably 91, 92, and he was working Minneapolis. So I've been doing it for several years, but it takes, it, you know, it always takes a while. And um, his stuff is nothing like mine, uh, but his stuff is incredibly personal and incredibly, it, it comes from that super personal place and it goes larger than life and some you know sometimes it's the greatest dick joke in the world (laughs) but it's uh but the thing is is he'll he'll pick it from like where you know just sort of what it's like to be he used to do this joke about uh living above uh a porny bake shop in boston he worked at a bake shop that made uh penises and uh and and erotica yeah Yeah, erotic donuts or whatever (laughs) and he said that sometimes he he was so broke he would eat day old (laughs) Donuts, and it was just such a like the image. You know, it was the visualization. It was the it was the personal touch. It was the um, the uh, attendance to detail. Same thing with Bamford. I mean, Maria Bamford's her stuff. It she wants to know what I was reading, 
when the teacher came over and talked to me about friendship. You know, like I do that joke about friendship. She was like, what book were you reading? And I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? And she said, oh, I don't know. I just want to know. Is it not any, don't you remember? And I was like, well, I know what I was reading that year. I, there was a great book that I read and reread. It was called The Bravest Teenage Yanks. And it was about, uh, it was nonfiction about uh, teenagers who were in the Civil War who won the Medal of Honor. And uh, it was really weird, dumb, you know, it's was just a goofy nonfiction book that I was, and it was about boys who were all like 16. I was 15, 14 or 15, and they were all brave soldier boys, you know, in the Union Army who had won the Medal of Honor. And most of them were drummer boys. And, you know, I was like, I bet you they were real handsome. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just something goofy, right? And so why does, uh, why does that, uh, why, why did that change things for you? Well, it's, it's stuff like it's, it's, it's that sort of input or questions like that from someone and it can come from the audience, but it's, it's been best, you know, those two times, those are more peers, but, uh, it just, there's, it's just the hint to remember, to keep it personal and to make it, to make it more than just funny is, is for me would be to make it interesting. You know, I'd rather... I, there was a friend of mine in the nineties who would tell these stories and, and I started doing it too, a little bit. And, um, but I'd say, oh, there wasn't enough laugh lines of that. She said, yeah, but you look at the audience and they're completely riveted. So you'll find the punchlines you, but you have to make sure you have their attention, you know? So if you're, if you're telling a joke and it's a long joke and many of my, my jokes start out very long, it, uh, to, Pepper them with as many details as possible means that I give myself more in the iteration and the uh, redoing the joke over and over again um, to find uh, if there's more details, the more opportunities to write punchlines. Uh, like you asked, how did they die? And she's like, stop talking to me. Yeah. Right. Like there's there's a laugh line just in the interaction between the two of you. Yes. Right. Or. Uh, where you're like, you, you talk about the tackling and the train and then like, like the, it, it, every, every little, it's, it's clear you, you like went back in your onstage writing process and we're like, okay, I have this detail. How can I want to, I want to laugh here. What's it going to take? Yeah. Almost. Yeah. I would say that I'd, I'd say sometimes that is, that is the question. What is it going to take? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and if, and you, you increase your odds if you give yourself more details. Yeah. So yeah, like if you pick a pick a weird, I mean, even if it's just a nostalgia laugh, you know, like yeah. I was reading Wimpy, this the kid book, and you know, everyone's like, oh, I read those, <laughs> and they kind of laugh, right? And so you're like, no, eh, that's probably not like, something I keep, but mm, uh, I'll take it tonight, right? Like it's almost like a little like. Uh, if you're trying to float along, you have to like tap, you have to like, 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 uh, like it's almost like a pogo stick. Like yeah. you're like pop, pop, pop. I want to, yeah. um, <laughs> you got to jump on top of the, 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 the jellyfish like Nemo. Yeah. Yes. Or whack-a-mole. Sure. <laughs> or whack-a-mole. <laughs> you got to make sure you're, yeah, you got to make sure you keep going. And, uh, and if, and if there's a, if there's an opportunity to raise it up into laughter. Was there anything else? Any other turning, were there any other turning points or things that you could say, oh, wow, that was a big a uh, new way of looking at it for me, or is there anything you've just realized lately that you've been applying? There's, there's always the the question of, like, because you meet people who are like, who say that what you're doing isn't comedy, 
Nobody's ever said that to me, but uh, <laughs> because I work too many clubs for anybody to say it, or they don't say it to my face. I don't know. <laughs> but the like, I know that like the Hannah Gatsby thing and the Mike Birbiglia thing. Uh-huh. They were like, "That's not stand up. That's storytelling, or that's okay ranting and stuff." And I'm like, "You didn't like." Bill Hicks, you didn't like Doug Stanhope. What <laughs> yeah. don't you like? And you don't like story. You know, you don't like. Uh, you know, st- but Bill Cosby told stories, also raped people. But uh, yeah. but there's like there's heard, heard that right. But the, <laughs> about the storytelling, yeah. And uh, so he, uh, but the the crazy but, thing is, is, was he good? <laughs> I don't, I don't think they ever knew. You had that great <laughs> story about. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it got it real dark. Yeah. You want to play? Okay. So, it's uh, Kinda, yeah. Uh, so they they uh, yeah, but there's there's stuff that that I've learned that I don't have to take the advice of everybody too. You know, like you go in going comedy is whatever you say it is. I get to do whatever I want because I'm a comic. I don't have to, you can't tell me what to do. And then, and then you start getting work and they're like, mm, we don't want you to swear. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and uh, my brain's attached to my mouth. Uh, I would like this check. And uh, so, and so, I mean, you, you make, there's compromises you're willing to make and there's compromises you're not willing to make. You got to find your line on that. Yeah. You got to find your own line. What's you gotta, yours? Um, I think it's just. It's uh, now it's like I want to do these bits. There's part of me that is like irritated that I'm doing bits about the big issues because I don't I would rather do bits about dogs and and dick jokes. That's not what's gnawing at your brain. But That's not what I'm writing. And I can't I could. That's a global yeah, it's a global climate. phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're living in a forest fire. Yeah. We literally have anxiety because of our president yes. that no one's ever felt before. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And or so since the, Nixon, I guess. Well, yeah, and I, I don't know how to not address it. It's, yeah. I mean, there were other bad presidents and there were other bad administrations. In the, this is ours now. This I, is ours. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, but I lived through other bad ones and I never felt the need to just do more than in passing. You they, know, I think yeah. on... Bread, there's a, 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 a W reference. Called, yeah, the George W. Bush, which I yeah. weirdly called George W. Bush. A variant. You, it is it, not weird, George W. Bush. <laughs> it, it's, uh, it doesn't make any sense because all it is is him just talking about going to church one day, and then it turns into a fingering joke, which oh, well. is how I want all of my political jokes to <laughs> Just be. go to bed. Just please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Will you accept protage? <laughs> as an ending instead of figuring out. Is there, I don't know what that is. Oh, is it Protage when you, where you just rub on the outside. Oh, Protage, interesting. Yeah. Well, 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 somebody. Yeah. I'm a nerd. I, have a... I was going to ask you, too, like, with all the reading that you do, like, um, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll say my thing. I, I sometimes have to, like, think, oh, wait, they're not going to know this thing because they don't read the weird crap that I read. Right. Sometimes you have to sort of explain it. And sometimes you have to just do the joke for the three people that have read it. Mm. I hear you um, do that, and I'm always like, good for you. Right, right, Fuck because, yeah. yeah, I mean, the three people who did get it were psyched. Yeah. And the the 30 people who didn't get it or whatever um, be were fine. like, oh, <laughs> there's a joke later for me. Yeah. It'll be fine. And, and I and I have exp- you know, explain it, and people, I mean. And when are, you explain it, you can find a funny way to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. I just 
tag something with a Motley Crue reference, and I was like, it's white people's NWA. And there the, you go. And, and, it, and it was like, oh, that's actually funny. That right. like did better as a line. I thought it would just be like a snicker. Right, right. You thought it'd just be a throwaway line for it, nine people. And I was like, oh, I, that like, was surprisingly oh, that popped. And it and it works. They know yeah. who they are now. Kind of yes. aggressive white guys. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jackie had to leave early, so we did our plugs without her. Here they are. We'll get right back to the episode. Check out her albums. Do yourself a favor. They're on Spotify, on her website. iTunes as well. You can follow our guest. That's uh, on Instagram. It's all Jackie Cation. All of it. Uh, (laughs) The links are in the show notes. Check out Dork Forest. That's her podcast on all things dorky. It's part of the Nerdist Network. It's basically people, whatever they're obsessed with. Whatever they they geek out about. And it's been running for 13 years. And then also she has her show, The Jackie and Lori Show. They bitch about stand-up yeah 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 yeah. blood comics (laughs) yeah i've heard i think i've listened to one episode and it was it was good (laughs) head on over to her website that's www.jackiecation.com and on there you can find her tour dates and information about booking her book her yeah she's a beast (laughs) yeah and then of course please check out some of the live shows here in new york late night romp that's a weekly show at 9 p.m at Brickspot comedy either i'm hosting it or Teresa sheffield my co-producer is hosting mm-hmm. it harrison helps out with it and is on it a lot yep and then we also have twitter war twitter war comedy that's facebook.com forward slash twitter war comedy it's a bi-weekly show at the Creek in the Cave every uh, Saturdays at 11. Two comics square off. They go tweet for tweet against each other, and the audience decides uh, which uh, comic's tweet was funnier than the other. And then it's it's base- essentially a tournament, and then uh, there's a, uh, a... Are they previously written tweets, or are they tweets that you're writing in the moment? Uh, previously written, which was great, because, uh, yeah, I didn't tweet that much. <laughs> <laughs> God, you get beat. I got beat, but I won my first round. Uh, I got beat my Meath Faith Hammond. But I don't. I, she's a virgin, and she knows it. She is a virgin, but she's very funny and talks about it. This is not revealing. All right. No. <laughs> uh, that's her act, actually. You just said her entire act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spoiled it, yeah. <laughs> All right. And then if you want to support us, we will take it. Yes. Please, please. We want to keep this show going. And uh, if you appreciate what we're doing, please support us financially. You can do that on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash let's talk about sets uh you can also pay us a one-time thing if you don't want to do it monthly and that's paypal jeff at let's talk about sets.com or you can send venmo to jeff dash mcbride yes or harrison dash tweed yeah you can definitely hyphen for the smart kids out there You, you can definitely do that if you want to waste your money yeah no Just send Brought it right some his cigarettes way. thank you yep, uh you can, guy that help did that him yeah, if you want to help him kill himself. Yeah, yeah. Actually, if you really care about Harrison, you won't send him money. Yeah, He's yeah. not yeah. Spending, his, spending that money on cigarettes. I do have a child, though. <laughs> I do not have one. <laughs> if you want to find out more about our guest, please head over to letstalkaboutsets.com. Check out those show notes. We also have a lot more episodes organized by theme and by the comedians that we discuss. You can get our episodes automatically, blah, 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 blah. Come on. Let's talk about sets. This next clip is from I'm Not the Hero of This Story from 2017. It's Jackie Cation's album, and it's called Monkey's Paw. Like, sometimes I'm home, and my father, in many ways, is the smartest person I've ever met in my life. 85% of the time, he's the smartest guy in the world. 15% of the time, uh, he is speaking from a little-known country called Banana Land. Uh, (laughs) 
But aren't we all, aren't we all? Aren't there, those aren't bad odds. And 85% uh, of the time, his advice is amazing. 15% of the time, he has handed you a monkey's paw. And you are making a wish uh, that could curse you for eternity. And, uh, but you don't know, you don't know. You're just going forward. And uh, I was reading a science fiction book. I read a lot. And I was reading a science fiction book not long ago. And he said, what are you reading? What are you reading over there? And I said, well, it's a book about a dystopian future, Dad. And he said, yeah, yeah, have you looked around? We live in a dystopian present. <laughs> Future's just gonna be like now. You're gonna be driving a five-year-old car and looking for work, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> My father is a funny glass guy. half full kind of guy, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and he, when I was eight years old, the first time my father was proud of me, I'm the youngest of six, I have four older brothers and an older sister, and the first time my father was even proud of me, I was eight years old. Uh, I was eight years old, I came home from school, and uh, there was no one there but him. I don't know why he was there, I don't know why he decided, he's, my father is a lot like radiation, he affected our lives a lot, but we never saw him. <laughs> But he is, I forget that but shit. for some reason he was there after school. And I'm not saying he didn't have his keys in his hand, but he decided to try some parenting. And he goes, what are you, eight? What is that, third grade? And, uh, and I said, yes, yes, it is third grade, Dad. And he said, what are, you, what are you studying in school in third grade? And I said, well, we're studying the end of the Mesopotamian Empire, the Phoenician and the Mesopotamian Empires. And he goes, yeah, yeah, empires end. What's that tell you? And I said, that empire's end? And he goes, yeah. Yeah, but what's that tell you about America? And I said, that one day America's going to end? And he goes, yeah, yeah. Sleep tight. <laughs> First time he was proud of me, you guys. <laughs> so good. That is... That's so funny that that bit made it on the album. I forgot about that one. Uh, why? Why? You said that was a throwaway line before we uh, start recording. So yeah, <laughs> sorry. It was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because to some extent that was that story. I think it was. It came off of, like I did all that medical stuff about him, and uh, you know it's funny. That's that's what I would love to play that because I think that's really tough material and you nailed it. Well, what's funny about that 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 medical thing is. Do you want to play that? I, I do. I do. I would say this too. I mean, there's, there's several, there's several bits. There's only two bits that my father has ever not liked. The one about him fishing, wearing uh, Daisy Dukes, because he's like, I don't even own those shorts. I don't, I'm a very dapper guy. Uh, I, I, I don't own any unfinished clothing. And I was like, well, you're out of your mind. And then he showed me the outfit. He said, this would be the outfit I was wearing. I was like, I can't. Un it's on the album, Dad. <laughs> it's too late. Too late. It's a I mean, that's one of the things where he's, he literally, he hates that joke. Uh -huh. and, uh, and then, the, and so now he only wants to hear the bits about him in post. Well, here is that bit added in post, just like her dad likes it. And it's from her 2014 album, This Will Make an Excellent Horcrux. It's a part of the bit called Tap That Mana. But the best example is my dad, Elliot Cation, aging horn dog. Uh, my father's 75 years old, very handsome, very dapper, salesman, loves the sale, loves the pitch. Now that things have changed, you know, he's been working the senior discount since he turned 40. He's been asking for and occasionally receiving the senior discount since he turned 40. Now that he's 75 years old, the game has changed. The pitch has changed. Now he has to convince everybody, no way are you 75. You got to be 50. So... 
it's all about the pitch to him. It's all about the sale. So last summer I was home, and I said, Dad, do you want to go out for coffee before I uh, leave town tomorrow? And he says, yes, let us meet at a very nice McDonald's on 76th and Blue Mound Road. And I said, a McDonald's, Dad, I have $6. Uh, let's go to a diner and sit down like Christians and have them bring us coffee over and over again, like people. And he goes, no, no, we got to go to this McDonald's because they card me there for the senior discount. So we show up. My father, always, always well put together, well dressed. For some reason, this morning, he is wearing what can only be called Wisconsin chic. He's wearing a denim dress shirt that he has cut the sleeves off of. He's wearing a pair of jean shorts that he made himself. Too high, Daisy Dukes, Daisy Dukes. I can see the pockets, they match. And I'm like, where? Where have you been in this outfit? What's happening here, Dad? And he goes, what? I was fishing. And I said, for men? Because that is a gay rave outfit, my friend. And you are going to get some hits. And I tell a million stories about my dad. That is the only joke that he's ever been like, I don't even own that outfit. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't have any unfinished clothes. And I was like, all right, Dad. Well, why don't you get me a picture of the outfit that you think I saw, and I'll put it on the album cover. I'll do it. And he goes, you're not getting a picture of me with that outfit on. Uh-huh. Do you know what that means? That outfit exists. Okay. <laughs> and then the other one was, I talk about my, my mother dying when I was seven and she was 33. And he was like, you know, she just turned 34. And I said, she wouldn't begrudge me those eight days, Dad, would she? I love your relationship with your dad. I mean, it's just like... I think that's one of the things that makes it work so well. Yeah, he's is, punchy. Is is that you're 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 both given as good as you get. Um, you, yes. You, you both. It sounds like you both find each other amusing. I think he does find me amusing, which is very helpful. And, yeah. But he heard that medical bit, and he was like, "The first, like, I sent him a copy of the album, and and I and he says, I can't believe you liked, you did all that stuff that was so hard for the audience to hear." I was like. That's so powerful. And I said, yeah, that genocide thing was crazy. And he goes, no, no, the stuff about my heart attack. About my heart surgery. <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> okay. Here is the bit we are talking about. It is called, spoiler alert, he lives from I Am Not the Hero of This Story, her 2017 album. My dad, I love my dad. My dad is a salesman. He, uh, he loves to sell. He's 79 years old. He is retired, unless you would like to buy something. Because uh, he loves selling things. He loves the sale. He loves the story. He loves the pitch. He loves, at, at the end of it, you will get very nice windows and aluminum siding and doors and roof. But he will also make as big a profit as he possibly can. Because it's a fun game for him. Okay, so I've had several moms. They're all dead. I didn't kill them. So here's the thing. <laughs> Um, so my mom died when I was seven. Like I said, uh, I didn't kill her. You're familiar with the Irish goodbye when your mom kills herself in a drunk driving accident when you're seven? We all familiar with that? Does that feel too soon? Does it feel too soon? Uh, usually only works with predominantly Irish crowds. Uh, so... <laughs> She did the best she could, in my opinion. She's great. 
But here's the thing, my dad remarried almost immediately, because that's what you do if you have six kids under the age of 17. That's what you do, you get remarried. You're like, oh, help. And uh, my stepmother, my parents had been separated, my dad and my mom had separated, and my dad was living with uh, the woman to become my stepmother uh, for three years, and my father had never told her that he was married. Uh, he told her he was married, he never told her he had six children. And my dad, when he did tell her, Nancy said, you never told me. And my dad is the kind of guy who's like, no, I told you. <laughs> like people forget that somebody has six kids that they're dating. And then get this, my stepmother married him, uh, which of course makes her uh, the best example of not to follow with men. Uh, because, but she was amazing. And my, and my grandmother always said that she saved our lives. Very possible. She was certainly a great loss to the Austrian army. Uh, there were charts and graphs and French corners on the beds. And there was a lot of chanting. There was some chanting, wash, wipe, and put away, live to eat another day. That was hers, that was hers. kids. She used to tell us that when we were kids. Uh, never wanted kids. She said, but we're doing this now. Now we're doing this. We're all doing this. You're going to be raised. You're going to have manners and you're going to learn chores. And at the end of it all, we're going to love each other and no one will know why. And so it came to pass, you guys. Yes. But a couple of years ago, she died, and that was super sad because she had raised me, and I was super sad about it because um, she was my mother. And um, But my dad and my stepmother had been divorced for several years when she passed away, and my father was not invited to the funeral because my father is hilarious at funerals. Nobody wants that. So uh, nobody in my family knows how to deal with grief. I don't know if you remember the Irish goodbye joke. So uh, there's always, whenever anyone dies in my family, there's always someone who goes, yeah, people die. Walk it off. Get a cup of coffee. I'm seven. Put some sugar in it. So there is, uh, but so Nancy dies, super sad. And I go home for the funeral. I take my dad to lunch because he's not coming to the funeral before, excuse me. And uh, first thing my dad says is, you know, I'm going to die one day. And I was like, wow, nice work making it about you almost immediately. <laughs> So I go to the funeral, and you know if someone you love has died, the only person you want to talk to after the funeral is the dead person. And I wish I could have called my mom and just gone, oh my God, your brother. Your brother asked me for money moments from your body. Uh, your sister showed up in robes. Robes. Giant cross. Robes. That's when I left, because that's when you would have left. <laughs> But my dad did almost die a couple of years ago. Hey, spoiler alert, he does not die. He is alive. Uh, so uh, here's the thing. But he had, he's 76 years old. He had to have the heart surgery that you get when you're, when you're a million years old and have been smoking for 40 years. And uh, so they go in, they clean out his heart, they close him up, they've, uh, they've done it wrong. So they have to open him up again, and then they close him up, and they've left something inside of him. They have to open him up a third time, and uh, he does not die any of those times. But he keeps thinking, oh, I'm, I'm a dead person. And my brother, who lives in Milwaukee, is like, he's being such a wuss about it. I was like, no. <laughs> no, he gets this one. He gets this one. But my brother, who lives in Milwaukee, his wife is a doctor. And she is uh, not a people doctor, and in many ways, not a people person. <laughs> she likes me, so I like her back. But she is uh, she's not much of a people. Anyway, so uh, every time he'd go under the knife, she would send a mass text message to my, me and my five siblings. Hey, they don't think he's going to make it. And uh, so I started calling her the angel of death. 
So he has the first surgery. I fly back to Milwaukee. I drive to the to the VA. On the way to the VA, I get a text message from him uh, from the angel of death, and it says he's going on for a second surgery. They don't think he's going to make it. So I get to the hospital, and I talk to the nurse, and I was like, what the heck? And she goes, yeah, you know, we could have waited. We could have waited. He knew you were coming from the airport. And I said, if he didn't wait? And she goes, no, we asked him. We said, do you want to wait? And he goes, Nah, let's just do it. And, uh, and I said, well, did he have any last words or anything? And she goes, yeah, he said, uh, tell her, tell her to do whatever she wants. I was like, those are the greatest last words ever. He should use those again. And, uh, and I said, do you think he meant that in general or just today? And she goes, and she is also from Wisconsin and in the 21st century. So she said, well, if he lives, you should ask him. And I did, I did ask him. It was after his surgery and he was all junked up on morphine or whatever. And I was like, hey dad, you said do whatever I want. Did you mean that in general or just that day? And he said, oh, in general, you should always do whatever you want. And I said, I suppose if it doesn't hurt anybody. And he goes, no, no, even if it hurts people. <laughs> I was like, shh, that's, a, that's an inside your head voice, pop. And uh, so I fly away and I am on, <laughs> I'm on a flight and I land here in Minneapolis, check my phone, very exciting. And uh, so I check my phone and I've gotten a, a third, another message from the angel of death. And it says, hey, is he going in for a third surgery? He's getting uh, the last rites. And so I call my sister, not my sister-in-law, didn't want to talk to her that day. And uh, so I call my sister and I was like, is dad gonna die? And she said, they don't know, they don't know, I don't know, maybe. And I said, well, I could be there in five hours. I could rent a car and be there in five hours. And she goes, yeah, you'll miss it. <laughs> He'll either live or die. He'd want you to work. And so I went to North Carolina and told jokes instead. And he did. He lived. He lived. At that same time, my brother, who lives in Milwaukee, uh, got that text message. He was in a meeting with two lawyers for the Koch brothers, right? They're obviously working on an elixir made of the poor. And, uh... <laughs> but he's sitting there in this meeting... And he gets the same text message I got, and uh, he's looking at it, and one of the lawyers says, is everything okay? And my brother goes, oh, my dad's getting the last rights. And the lawyer goes, oh, do you want to reschedule? And my brother goes, no, nah, let's just do it. <laughs> and the lawyer says, that's a little cold. Lawyer for the Koch brothers called my brother a little cold. <laughs> But he lived, my dad lives, he goes home, and a month and a half after he gets back to his apartment, he falls down and breaks his leg. And now he's back in the hospital, and so I fly to Milwaukee, and I'm like, I can't take it, Dad, I can't take it. You're dying, you're not dying, you're dying, you're not dying. It's driving me. And he looks up from the hospital bed, and he goes, nice work making it about you almost immediately. <laughs> the jackass does not fall that far from the tree, my friends. The other the other thing about this the, about, about the medical bit is that um, I had had some stuff that I'm actually working on now about my dad being um, just kind of a, a con artist. And two people came up to me and said, "Oh, he's kind of like Trump." And I said, "Did you want to get punched in the throat? What's uh, what's going on?" I love my dad, and uh, you could back up. And uh, so I couldn't put that stuff on the album. I couldn't face two people affected what track I was going to put on my damn album because they compared him uh, to Captain Knobjob. And uh, and so I 
I decided to put this thing on, which is, uh, it was incredible. It affected like there, my, my oldest brother who hasn't seen my dad in 20 years flew to Milwaukee because my dad had this heart surgery and it was, and they screwed it up. And so every time he would go under the knife, he'd be like, Oh, I think I'm dying. Uh, well, it's been great. Uh, don't forget yeah, say say nice things about me. I gotta I gotta die over here. I'll be yeah. right back. And uh, so it was it was fascinating. And so there is probably twenty minutes uh, on him on that album, right? There's probably twenty minutes worth of material about my dad on that album. And when it came out, I I told him that I had cut that other stuff out, and he said, "Well, more than twenty minutes of, of about me on an album means that it's not your album; it's my album." <laughs> Oh my so God. <laughs> uh, he's like, I'm glad you cut it out. Oh, yeah. Save it for the next album. Yeah. And uh, I said, that's why you got to live, Dad, because yeah. I need uh, I, I need at least two more albums. Out of you. Yeah. <laughs> and he was one time he said, I don't understand why you don't do more jokes about your siblings. And I said, well, because you keep talking. <laughs> uh, hardly doesn't have anything to do with me. Yeah. I mean, he's 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 such a character, right? Yeah. And, and um. It, it seems like, and I think one of the reasons this works so well, is you have clearly accepted your dad for exactly who he is and exactly who he's not. Yes. Right. Yeah. If you were still resenting him for this stuff, it would be probably a lot harder to get the audience on board with it. It's true, because then they don't want to like him, and they have to kind of like something about him to laugh at the jokes. And you're making, if you're not doing that for them, you're making them do emotional work yeah to laugh at your jokes whereas yeah. it's it's our job yeah that's the job yeah. the job is to do all the emotional i mean if you're going to do jokes about something that's emotional uh-huh. uh you better do all the you got to lay the groundwork so that they don't have to right they, i mean they can hear about a heavy topic you know i heard one woman do this joke about getting raped and it was super painful and dark but it was fucking hilarious and at the end of it she what she had done is she had she had been raped. She had been questioned by the police and told that they didn't believe her, that maybe she uh, said that she regretted something and then it was just regrettable consensual sex. And she was like, there are things that I regret. And then, like, mentioned some band that she had bought <laughs> tickets to. She breaks and, attention yeah, really yeah, quick. Right, yeah, yeah. broke the tension really great. Yeah. And then I, it just, I don't know if she's still doing it, but it was this amazing thing about how the clothes that she had been wearing had been sitting in the corner of her apartment, like her bedroom, for like a month. And finally, after about a month or five weeks, she looked over there and she was like, you know, he took my dignity. He made me do these, this thing. And I, he doesn't get the pants that make my ass look okay. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash these clothes <laughs> and I'm going to wear them. It was like it was a freaking triumph of the will. Man. It was, wow. Which, of course, is a terrible analogy. Yeah. Uh, About the, the he lives bit. <laughs> I, I was really struck listening to it that when he says, like, ah, just go through with it. Yeah. Right, just do it. Just, let's just Tell her she can with. do whatever yeah. she wants. Oh, yeah. Well, there's that, yeah. too. There's yeah, that, yeah. too. Like, so I'm driving from the airport, and they're like, well, we could wait. And they're like, nah. <laughs> you don't have to wait. She's, she doesn't need to see me loose it again. Uh-huh. This will be fine. Yeah. And uh, it's just. But it also, when he says, gives the advice to you. It's that. He's yes. doing that. He's yeah. doing exactly the thing. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's doing, doing exactly. that. He's like, do whatever you want. That's and what I do. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's just, it's so great to see you clearly communicate who your dad is. And there are, you're, you're pointing out his faults. Right. But you're also doing it with such love that. Nobody's living his truth like Elliot Cation. He's living his truth. <laughs> yeah. Every moment of every day is 
it's exactly it's, how you, he wanted it you, to be. You walk this line between like like just like exasperation and disgust yeah. and and yeah. and total love and this is my dad and it really it's it's I, I feel like that's how um that's the best way to do family comedy because nobody wants to hear about how perfect your family is they want to hear how, how it's fucked up right but and they don't want to hear about it how, go ahead but just imagine if you could do stand up about how perfect they were because that angle has to be how you don't understand how they're doing it Right? Like, yeah. like yes. if you look at a guy like John Mulaney, oh. I mean, that guy, I believe, comes from cardboard cutouts of humanity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone with a Scrooge McDuck pile of money next to them. <laughs> and his, he's so funny. Oh, wow. He's Absolutely. so funny. But it's more, it's observational because in many ways he doesn't feel broken at all. Uh-huh. He yeah. doesn't feel like he's had to get over, like he... He genuinely feels like he came from a loving, supportive family, uh, and he uh, has always had good dental. Uh, I mean, like <laughs> it feels like it, it just—he came from a pretty good place. Absolutely. But it's proof that you can come from that really good place and still be super funny, right? I mean, I use him as that an example. I barely know that guy, by the way. So when we finally spend any time together, he's gonna be like. You mentioned me a lot on podcasts. It's so <laughs> weird. I was like, that's because you are an anomaly to me. <laughs> it's because I like you see people who it's like the Seinfeld thing almost because he also had a very similar. I think they even yeah. said you don't have to go to high school anymore. You can just do this because we believe in you. Oh my god, something like that. Who is that? <laughs> Whose parents are those? I, but I love that Gary Shandling quote to Seinfeld. It was like, why do I have to come from like a messed up background? Why do I have to be tormented or abused? Like, can't I just be talented? And then it's like, why does it have to be? I'm like messed up in the head. Oh yeah. And Gary Shandling was like, I hear rage. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's my favorite quote in comedy. Oh my God. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so funny. Anyway. All right. Well, I think that's probably it for us. Let's that was great. On your way. That was Thank really you. fun. Thank you so much, Thank Jackie. You guys were very good. You're an inspiration to us and a lot of people. Oh yeah. Now, so oh, we yeah, really yeah, appreciate yeah. it. Uh, you should know too, like my, my co-producer, she is a wonderful, wonderful comedian. And, uh, and a wonderful person. She, when she heard that you were coming on, she was just like, "Can I just, can I just be there? Can I just, can I just?" I was like, "That's a little weird." And she's like, "We don't really have sit in right places a lot." <laughs> I know people sometimes want to sit in on like a, a not a live dork for us, but just a one on one. And I'm mm. like, "No." Yeah. If you're in the room, you get a microphone. And yeah. I don't want to give you one because I only have two. <laughs> All right, thanks. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets.